you're listening to the Primary Medicine Podcast with Kevin and Dimitri, bringing you the best in primary care CME that you can use in your everyday practice. Welcome back, everyone, to the Primary Medicine Podcast, the last of the year 2020. Currently, I'm working as a faculty lecturer for McGill, and our next block of sessions is going to be on the kidney. So I thought it'd be interesting to talk about some renal pathology that can be seen in primary care. And I'll begin with a very common presentation, and that's proteinuria in children. And if you look at some of the statistics, about 10% of school-age children will present with proteinuria. And this is a, and this is actually supported by some studies done in Asia. And if we retest them, if we test the same 10%, only about 1% will have persistent proteinuria. So you can see that it is quite common. But a smaller percentage of these people, of these children, actually have something likely persistent. It tends to peak in adolescence, and rates of proteinuria are higher in girls. So what is the mechanism? Think back to renal anatomy. And think back to the fact that protein should not be in the urine in high quantities because protein is, is useful to the body. Now, protein byproducts can be found in the urine. Cells should be kept in the blood most of the time. So looking at the renal anatomy, there, the two most common issues are a problem with the glomerulus. Usually there is a, either a damage to the filtration mechanism, that's a common cause, or there is, there is a decrease in functioning glomeruli. Another cause of glomerular issues. The second issue is the tubules, and problem with the tubules or a tubular problem. Uh, if you remember, the proximal tubule is a place where most of the protein reabsorption occurs. So, whatever protein has not been filtered back by the glomerulus into the blood ends up being taken, put, put back in the blood through the proximal tubule. So a disease in, in the tubule is another cause for having persistent proteinuria. Then you have a third less common mechanism, which is called overflow. Overflow happens where there's just too much protein, or the concentration of protein is too high in the blood to be able to first of all filter it back in, or prevent, prevent from getting filtered out, I should say or to be able to reabsorb it through the tubules. And that can occur in some catastrophic conditions such as rhabdomyolysis, for example, in burn victims, or intravascular hemolysis as well. So generally, overflow is rare, and it's a relatively severe cause of proteinuria. So we have mechanisms. How is proteinuria de detected? Usually it's it's an incident or accidental finding. Um, you've done a urine dip or a urinalysis and you notice positive proteins and usually do it for other reasons. Most proteinuria, unless you're dealing with persistent, has asymptomatic. And there's no recommendation to screen for proteinuria in children because, again, 10% of them will test positive and a very small percentage of those 10% actually have some condition worth detecting. Dipstick is the easiest test in office if the child is continent. Be aware that there's some issues with false positives and false negative tests. Hence, you should repeat it. For example, false positives occur in alkaline urine. If you see that the pH is greater than 8, 
you, you may not be able to detect proteinuria accurately. Also, if the urine is very concentrated, let's say that you're dealing with somebody who is dehydrated, they might have a positive because because of the concentration of the urine, the relative concentration of protein is elevated. Also, gross immature urine can, it can lead to, to a false positive first because the color I mean, if you've ever done a dipstick on uh, on hematuria, the, the color is really hard to interpret just by looking at it because of the color of the urine being different. But also because the hematuria can cause uh, issues with the chemical reactant on the dipstick. False negative can occur as well. And it's We're talking about the complete opposite reasons than the false positives. Your, your, your urine is acidic, so pH less than 4.5. Your urine is too dilute, so the relative concentration of protein is less, hence the test is not able to detect it. So a specific gravity less than 1.01, for example. And if you do, if you have a proteinuria where you're mostly dealing with proteins which are not albumin, so you can get false positives, and likely that, that contributes to the 10% rate. The gold standard for protein detection is your 24-hour urine protein excretion, this is hard to do in adults, so imagine it's even harder in children. Furthermore, some children may not be fully continent at night, which will be a problem for parents. So, as a primary physician, physician you rarely, if ever, order a 24-hour. I mean, I, I've never ordered it, unless it's, if it was suggested by a specialist to be done before the patient was seen. But in children, I, I think even specialists tend to... Uh, Avoid ordering this test because of how tricky it can be. So the best test to confirm a positive dipstick, or a positive urinalysis for that matter, is a urine-protein-to-creatinine ratio, which is different from an albumin-to-creatinine ratio because it should look at all proteins, where an ACR, albumin-to-creatinine ratio, will only look at albumin. It will miss proteinuria that is not albumin Specific, uh, it's great for for diabetes because damage to the kidney coming from diabetes tends to cause mostly albumin leakage, but it's not the best test for other type of proteinuria. So you need to order urine protein to creatine, and as a confirmatory test, it should be done in the morning. Why is that? Because it eliminates the, uh, the diagnosis of orthostatic proteinuria. Static, implying that it's happening because the child has been standing up for longer periods of time. Make sure that your second test is in the morning, whether it's a second dipstick or a urinalysis or a urine protein to creatinine ratio test. Okay, now, so now that we know how to detect it, which is dipstick and then a confirmatory test, a urinalysis. Usually, so I mean, the way I would approach it is if a dipstick's positive, you do a urinalysis. If the urinalysis is positive, you should do a urine, urine to pro, urine protein to creatine ratio test to confirm in the morning. That's the way I would ultimately do a confirmatory testing, those three steps. Now, if we know how to confirm it, what is your differential diagnosis of proteinuria? So you have your transient causes. You have the, the sort of the catch-off idiopathic. We don't know why it's happening. And then we have the Causes such as exercise, stress, dehydration, and cold exposure all can lead to transient proteinuria, which is non-pathologic. 
meaning it's occurring because of an outside stimulus, not an inside issue. Then you have a orthostatic. We'll talk about orthostatic in a bit more detail further down the line. And then you have your glomerular issues and your tubular issues. So glomerular issues, think of collagen vascular diseases such as HSP, Henoch-Schönlein purpura, and rheumatological problems such as systemic lupus erythematosus. Those will cause proteinuria. Think of a glomerulopathy. There's tons of glomerulopathies, which I won't go through, because it's way beyond the scope of what primary care would do. But an example would be IgA nephropathy, so IgA-mediated disease of the glomerulus causing protein leakage. Think of infection. So both strep and, strep and mono can present with glomerular damage. Consider the diagnosis of post-streptococcal glomerulonephritis as a possibility here. In fact, one of the reasons why we, we tend to treat kids with antibiotics is because they have a higher chance of having that complication happen if we don't, where adults do not. Think about infectious causes to strep and mono. Think about malignancy. And this is, fortunately, fortunately, it's a rare cause, but it can be a cause of glomerular damage, having a lymphoma or a solid tumor. And think about toxins such as mercury. Mercury goes in, gets filtered, destroys the glomerular membrane, and you start getting a lot of leakage of protein into the urine. And then you have the uh, genetic causes such as Alport syndrome, which comes with, with vision problems, uh, with hearing problems, and also with glomerular damage. So glomerular causes, think about the collagen vascular disease, specifically HSP, SLE. Think about post-infectious, so strep and mono. Think about glomerulopathies, which is, a, you know, again, a huge differential there. Malignancy and toxins, mercury. Then you have your tubular. Tubular damage is mostly caused by drugs. Okay, you can get acute tubular necrosis, so death of the tubule, tubular cells, which is caused by NSAIDs, so Advil, Motrin, or even radio contrast media, common cause of kidney damage is the radio contrast media. Then you have the acute tubular nephritis, where it's an inflammation. It's not death of the tubules, but it's inflammation of the tubules. And that's caused by NSAIDs and antibiotics, such as penicillin and quinolone. So think about a child who's sick. Maybe they have otitis media. They're already dehydrated. You give them Motrin and penicillin, amoxicillin, for example you can actually induce tubular nephritis. Another reason, or be a good steward of antibiotics, because again, it can cause a very, uh, potentially life-threatening complication in, in a child. Another cause of tubular damage is pyronephritis, which can also cause, by the way, glomerular damage. And mercury comes, mercury also can cause tubular damage. Mercury goes through the glomerulus, destroys it there, and then it goes through the tubules and destroys, can destroy them there as well. Glomerular, Think infection, cardiovascular disease, neuropathy, tubular things, specifically drugs such as NSAIDs, uh, antibiotics, and radio contrast media. Okay, so that's your differential. Transient, orthostatic, glomerular, and tubular. So let's go th back to what is orthostatic. It is a not a, it's really not an uncommon cause. And the way um, it's diagnosed is, is let's say that you've done the You've done the dipstick, it's positive. Then you've done the urinalysis, which is positive as well, which confirms the fact that you see that the urinalysis after six hours of being upright is positive. But doing a morning urinalysis is negative. You don't even need to do the 
UPR creatinine at this point. Just do a morning urinalysis and do a, a you know, six hour post waking up urinalysis in this, in this child. Then likely you're dealing with orth- orthostatic proteinuria. What is the mechanism of this? It's unclear, but it may be caused by anatomic compression of the left renal vein when a child's you know, standing up for prolonged periods of time. There's no treatment. It would, it will tend to, again, resolve by itself uh, by, by the end of adolescence. But again, if, if a kid has this, don't let it mask other conditions, right? They can still get tubular damage, damage as well. So that's why, again, the morning, the morning urinalysis is so useful because if the morning urinalysis changes as it becomes positive, you're no longer dealing with orthostatic proteinuria. So that's your thought. Now, in terms of differential for persistent proteinuria, the most common cause is glomerular, very large margin. Tubular can happen, but again, usually it's, it's, it's medication cause. So if you're dealing, again, if you, if kids come into your office and you've done a urinalysis, you know, you've done a dipstick for whatever reason, then you've done your analysis, which is positive, and then you do a urine protein to creatinine ratio, which is positive again, you had to, to get them to come into your office here to do actual full history, a full history. It's like an internal medicine history, everything. Consider your differential, so talking about drug ingestion, you're talking about recent infections, about the beta symptoms, you're talking about rashes, so on and so forth. You get a full history, then you do a physical. If they're de- if you're dealing with severe cause of proteinuria, it will cause fluid overload because the kidneys aren't working like they should be. So what you're looking for, you're looking for hypertension, the abnormal finding in children. You're looking for edema and children will not only swell in the ankle, they can swell around the eyes, periorbital swelling. They can swell around the sacral region, presacral swelling, the genital region as well. The other thing you can notice if you're dealing with, it, especially a chronic cause, such as collagen vascular disease, they might be, you might be having growth failure. Speaking of collagen vascular disease, you need to look for rashes. So non-blanchable purpura, you're talking about HSP. The butterfly rash on the face, you're talking about SLE. And if you're dealing with scarlet fever, causing post nephritis, you're looking for a sandpaper rash on the chest. So if you have any type of positive findings, you should call a friend. The friend being a pediatrician or nephrologist, whichever is easier to. And often you should order an ultrasound to write anatomic issues. Issues such as malignancy being the big bad one and the polycystic, and I actually forgot to mention that, but polycystic kidney disease is a rare cause of proteinuria. It's, it's an issue specifically with the glomerular function, more so than the tubules in the amount of glomeruli. But that can be caught based on family history. That's hence you, t- you get a family history as part of the your history, but also based on the ultrasound. So ultrasound can be useful looking at malignancies or polycystic kidney disease or other anatomic issues. And management, again, is very case-dependent. In most cases, you don't need to manage it. You just need to observe it, follow it. But if you're dealing with a glomerular issue or tubular issue, you know, you're on the gamut from having to give the, the patient steroids to them requiring dialysis. So phone a friend, phone the pediatrician, and ask them what the next step is. Your job really as a primary care physician is to detect it is to f- and to figure out if it's a persistent, severe cause 
of proteinuria, right? So again, remember, proteinuria is extremely common in school children. It will peak around adolescence and then drop out afterwards, but it's very common. Causes are either glomerular or tubular, usually, glomerular being the, the top cause. It is detected as an incidental finding, usually on a dipstick or a urinalysis you've done for other reasons. If it's positive, you should do a repeat urinalysis in the morning. And if that's positive, then you would go with a urine protein to creatinine test for confirmation. If you're dealing with a persistent type of proteinuria, your next step is to order an ultrasound and to call a friend, a pediatrician, to help figure out what we're dealing with. So hopefully this was helpful, this was clear. I wish everyone a, uh, a happy end to, to 2020. And, uh, and we'll talk again in 2021. Thank you.